0: turn now to our scripture of Genesis chapter 14. I'll read verses 1 through 17 of Genesis 14. Genesis 14, 1 through 17. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, uh, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasar. Kedolamer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shanab, king of Adma, uh, Shemabur, king of uh, Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar, all these joined together in the valley of Sidim, that is, the Salt Sea, where twelve years they served Ketalomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Ketalomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in uh, Estherath, Karanim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Imim in Sheba Kiriathiam, and the Horites in their mountain of Seir as far as Al-Paran which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to Enmishpat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwell in Haziazan Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboyim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim, against Kenalamir, king of Elam, title king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elasar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fled, some fell there, and the remainder fell to the mountains or fled to the mountains then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way they also took Lot Abram's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Amorite brother of Eshcol brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abraham. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Ketolomer and the kings who were with him. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. Now we've been doing a sermon or a sermon series On the family. And you might say, well, what does war have to do with the family? Well, um, that's my argument in this passage, that it has a whole lot to do with the family. And that in as much as this tells the tale of Abraham and his family, that we need to pay attention to this for our families today. It's not a minor issue. It's, It's very important. What we're going to see here are some corrections for our day. For our thinking today, will we be compliant or pliable before the Lord and before His Spirit? Will we, will be will we submit, be submissive before the Word of God? Will we see the intelligence of this? Or will we simply say that we need to behave according to what our culture would teach us? I think that this, this text has a whole lot to teach us about, um, uh, our families, how, how we carry our families as fathers, how we, uh, how we administer the supervision that God has given us of our families. And uh, we need to realize that all that we see here is based upon the love of Christ. Some people would like to juxtapose the, 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 or compare, contrast, I should say, the, the love of Christ with such harsh things as we see going on here. In this text. I would argue very much that they go together. Um, I know when I interviewed for my job at the hospital, I I think, I believe I was the first Calvinist that my boss ever interviewed, and um, he found it hard to reconcile. He knew something about Calvinism, mostly caricatures of it, but he found it hard to reconcile what he knew about Calvinism with the kindness that he hoped would come out of his chaplains. And I argued with them that day. I, I didn't back down. I was, I was happy to argue the case that, that the, the, um, the more we know about the greatness of God, the more we know about his holiness, the more we know about his law, the more we know about his theology, the better and the more loving we can be as people. And I tried to demonstrate that with a lot of smiles and affection for him, even in the, even in the interview. Well, I, I guess he was at least convinced to let me go for a day or two, and then I'm, I'm still there five years later. So uh, I guess that it has been uh, somewhat successful. But I, I see the same kind of thing here with this text. There are some harsh things. There are some things that our culture definitely does not agree with, but nonetheless, they are taught. And Abraham, in many ways... In many ways, Abraham's family is a paradigm family for us in the Bible. We know something about Noah and his family. We know something about uh, Adam and Eve and their family. But uh, Abraham's family is the first one that has just opened up over the pages of some, some 40 chapters of, of Scripture in the, well, 30 chapters of Scripture in the in the book of Genesis. And so it, it pays us many benefits to to study that. Now the first point of the sermon this morning is uh, the politics and crime. <laughs> because as we rear our families, we rear them in a world which is not totally friendly. In fact, it's often an enemy to us and our families, whether consciously or unconsciously. But uh, here we see the setting for this text. And uh, there are all of these worldly competitions. There are these two sets of kings. Now, in, in many senses, the, the tie of the word king here for all of these different... It's more like the, what we would call today a mayor, because these were all little city-states. The idea of a nation like America uh, was not abroad or not well-founded in this day that they, they didn't have the capacity to form these larger confederations of people. And so uh, really that's one of the graces of God in terms of culture and the development of culture where he's given us progressively more and more ability by our common agreements, by the communication systems that we have and the transportation system. He's given us more and more ability to form these larger confederations of peoples over whole continents, but in this day, uh, you did well if you had a whole city that was of one mind and could stick together and and, uh, and uh, obtain a strong man who would be the head of the city, and to that person, they, they were given the title of king, but it's a little bit different than what we might think of today in terms of the kings and queens of of uh more modern Europe, and uh, even though the the, the, the the idea of king and their reign has somewhat passed from history, now most of the kings and the queens are figureheads uh, in the world today, except in places like Arabia and uh, and the like. But anyway, what we see here is that the family is set in this context, and there's a there is a war going on, and we we remember last week where. Abraham's family and Lot's was having trouble getting along because of the scarcity of pasture land and that sort of thing, where Abraham, where they were settled. And so Lot started, moved into the valley, uh, the Jordan Valley, the southern extremities here where it's not quite as plentiful as the north, but nonetheless, uh, a more fertile area, uh, north of Jericho probably, which is more of a, a wilderness at the end of the Jordan River, uh, but uh, uh, the family had moved and, and so Lot, we covered last week a little bit on how Lot moved close to Sodom and in the end we see from uh, Peter that uh, he moved too close, he, he, didn't, he didn't keep a, uh, a healthy distance from the Sodomites and from all the sin that was going on there. In Sodom and Gomorrah. But we see both of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, the mayors of Sodom and Gomorrah, are both mentioned here in this text. And they were set against some other kings uh, under the leadership of Kenna a more powerful king that was to the north of them. And so there, there's this struggle going on. And what we see here, in terms of this first point, is that our families are surrounded. And we often have these things going on uh, overpowering are over influencing us that are not that are things that we maybe wouldn't have if we had our choice there are the affairs of the world and the politics of the world and the events of the world and they often swirl around us and we are you might say little families how can we survive in the midst of this kind of a world and I think all of us today face that to some degree We, we live in a different world different circumstances we're much larger than a city-state, and yet we, we face some of these same dynamics. So, uh, uh, the second point of this is that um, while there is evil going on, that knowledge is power, and we have the right of self-defense. Now, what we see in verse 13 and 14, we'll, and we'll focus on verse 14 in the next point, too, but uh, verse 13 and 14, we see that when one of the men, after Lot and his family were captured, that one of the people who escaped to the hills ran and told Abraham, or Abraham at this point, uh, that the Lot was amongst those that were captured. And we see immediately, we see certain actions that, were, that, were, that Abraham took. Uh, he told Abraham the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the, by Mamre, and the, the, the person who told him was an Amorite a brother of Eshcol and a brother of Aner they were allies with Abraham. Abram now this is a very important point see Abram lived in the world he was not of the world but he was in the world and Abram with, with pagan neighbors he tried to be as loving and as sociable and as helpful as he could be within the constraints of his faith and so he had made friends with these pagan people he was not contaminated by the relationship. And in the end, he was benefited by the relationship. They thought enough of Abraham to come and tell him, Lot, your relative has been taken in the midst of this general conflagration of the nations in the valley. And uh, verse 14 says, Now when Abraham when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born of his own house and they went in pursuit. Now the, my point here is that knowledge is power and we have a right to self-defense. In the typical family and community today, if this kind of thing happened, I think very often people, we have, we're so used to granting power to our, to our political superiors that we, we wouldn't have we would just be cast back into confusion the typical family the typical community in this case, the training is in relationship to going and rescuing Lot. In other words, here is a a shepherd, here is a herdsman in essence, Abram, he was a, a a rich herdsman, a rich shepherd, but in essence he was a shepherd. But, he had 350 men that were able, that were men of war, that were with him, and they Abram had the sense and the foresight to train his men to war. Think of that. If we tried to do that today, we'd have all kinds of discussions. Well, you know, why should we train ourselves for war? I can just imagine a congregational meeting or a city, a village meeting. Why are, why, are we, why are we training ourselves for war? There's no war apparent. No one has attacked us. Well, you see, when the attack comes, it's too late. You have to train yourselves according to the knowledge that you have. What is the knowledge we have? The total depravity of the human race. The the high potential for violence in this world. And so Abraham, Abraham was a godly man, the most godly man in the world at that time. And coupled with his godliness was this realism of what he faced as a man of God in the world. So that when Catastrophe befell him, and one half, basically one half of the people who were with him at that time, Lot and his family, when they were kidnapped by these pagan kings, it wasn't that the pagan kings came and said, well, You know, we're of a mind, we have an appetite for some kidnapping here, so we're going to kidnap Lot, and it's, we're going to take half of Abraham's family. No, that wasn't the case at all. Lot was just living in the pagan city, he was living in a place where Uh, 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 it was uh, inappropriate in terms of opportunity and he was scooped up with these other people. But Abraham uh, takes his men and he goes after him. Now think of the odds of this case. Think of the odds of this case. All of these different kings are mentioned. It's like a dozen of them. They all represent different city-states. One half of them have already been vanquished by the other half. They've been taken, they've been, on the field of battle, they've been decimated. They've been, they've been, they've been destroyed in, in many ways. So much so that they all of their goods and their the womenfolk and the weaker people were taken captive there. They were taken away. Here's Abraham with his one clan. One half of the clan that he left Haran with. One clan. What chance would he have... To to rescue his people. In the world, we cannot always count fingers. We cannot always count our immediate resources. In the world, sometimes we are pushed to a point where we say we must either act or not. And if we feel like there's an utter necessity to act, we have to use our we have to use our good senses. Uh, we cannot simply be rash. But in this case, if Abraham had not acted, uh, there would have been a tremendous loss to the people of God, and so he he acted. And uh, but, he, but his his action followed his knowledge and his awareness of self-defense. Half, I I don't know if you poll the Christian Church today, I don't know whether you'd even get a majority of them to believe in self-defense. I hope so. It's certainly biblical. But we have so stressed uh, an errant view of the love of Christ that we forget that this this text that comes to us from, from Genesis is the word of Christ, as well as other words that encourage us unto kindness and love and goodness and all of these other kinds. Our lives must be governed by the whole counsel of God. And not just... Doctrines that happen to dovetail with the culture that we're in. The culture that we're in wants the people who are more righteous to be pacifists, even while they are militants. It's a very wicked idea. And the minute that we, the minute that we show any, um, any uh, consensus or show of strength at all, they they're quick to rush in and uh, cast all kinds of epithets and judgments upon us. Just look at what happened on January 6th, uh, two years ago. Was it two years ago? Uh, with, uh, a bunch of people that were really fed up with the politics of America. And they, they were, they thought the election had been stolen. And so they were protesting in Washington, D.C. And they, and, uh, they went, they went to the Capitol building and, uh, uh, some of them were a little bit militant but it's not like the capital was surrounded by machine guns and people were taking you know, thousands of rounds were expired it was basically a, a demonstration that got a little bit out of control and uh, and yet that that was cast upon, that was folk, uh, characterized by our media as if it was some great rebellion some great guerrilla warfare taking place against, and I remember Nancy Pelosi talking about the hollow, the holy halls of Congress. Oh. <laughs> uh, but that's the day in which we live, and those are the characterizations under which we go. But but Abraham, Abram, in this case, had knowledge, and he knew about self-defense, and so uh, <clears throat> he went. Now, the third point is the Necessity of family education culturally, verse 14. And this is really a derivative of what I just said. But um, now when Abraham heard that his brother was taken, he armed his 300 servants who were born and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Abraham had the preparation of knowledge. He understood these things, and he had educated the people underneath him. He didn't have any um, blood-born sons at this point. Isaac was still not alive yet. But he was, a, he was a wonderful father figure, and he had attracted many men to himself, many families to himself. But he had educated these people, and they saw the wisdom of this man, Abram. If We, uh, we must educate our children. Uh, we must not be afraid of educating them about the sin of mankind, about the effects of sin, about the fact that we, you know, we must educate our, our little girls that as tender and sweet as they are that bad things can happen to them. We need to educate our sons that even though they will meet stronger boys along the way, that they must do the best that they can to strengthen themselves. I've always appreciated when people in our congreg- my congregations over the years have taken up weightlifting for the boys, martial arts. Some of, them, some of our families here do that. It's, it's a good thing. They, they, they may want to be musicians, you know. But it's not a bad thing, you know, to strengthen the arm that holds the bow. You know, so that as young men, they understand that they're capable of being a part of Abraham's band as they were in this day. That's a good thing. And uh, it helps us to be well-rounded as people if our fathers uh, will educate us. Fathers and mothers, you know, will educate us in these things and uh, help us along. Now, number four... My point here from this text is that Abraham was not a pietist. A pie, a pie, there, there are a number of different definitions for pietism. This is not the day for a 20-minute excursus on pietism. But simply put, in this in this case, if we elevate a piety, it has to do with the holiness of character. Our piety comes from a Latin root that means uh, purity and uh, and goodness. So the, But the Bible, the problem is that the Bible speaks of a number of different pieties, a number of different ways that we can be good. And so if we, if we elevate one, well, in this case I'll say love, if we elevate love as a piety and we, we take that and uh, um, obliterate the sun of righteousness or the brightness of the righteousness, which is another piety to which we are called by Christ, if we, we are not allowed to to to, uh, to fight, let one piety fight against another, our piety, our, our unified piety, has to be a balance of the whole council of God, both ethically and theologically. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that Abraham was not a pietist? Well, we have not heard anything about Abraham to this point of being warlike or being aggressive, have we? Nothing nothing. He he, he arms these 350 men and then read what what else happens here. In verse 15 it says he divided his forces against them by night. (laughs) Abram was a military strategist. He thought about things like this. What do you do? How do you fight a fight? 350 men against uh, a half dozen kings and all of their people. He didn't shrink back from the task. He divided against them by night. He wasn't foolish enough to attack them in the day. He attacked them in the still of the night. His men were trained. They they were able to maintain a unit cohesion, which is no small thing. You can ask Billy, who's been been, been to war. And uh, that's no small thing. And so much is presupposed by what he did here. He arms them by night, and it says he attacked them by night. This was a bloody. These men went in, and it was a bloody affair. They didn't. They didn't go in and say surrender. Uh, you know, if you don't surrender, we're going to attack you. They, they went in with swords flying, and and just killing as many people as they could. And uh, the end result, we do, we don't know that all of the details are not told us, but the end result is that they put all of these people to flight. They drove them out. We begin our psalm singing today with Psalm 76, and in the the second verse, it says, verse 5 of 76, Thou hast spoiled the valiant-hearted. In other words, the men of the world that are valiant, that are strong, Thou hast spoiled the valiant-hearted, Wrapped in sleep of death are they, Mighty men have lost their cunning, None are ready, for the fray. There are many stories in the Bible about smaller forces overcoming much larger forces. And the people of the world that looked like they were impregnable are somehow overcome. Right now in, in uh, uh, um, Ukraine uh, there's a, a war going Russian army is they may win, but they're not doing as well as it was expected. And I saw an article recently that said that, that some, uh, some theorists are saying that the, the, uh, the cultural decay and the, the, the crime in the Soviet Union is so bad, they're ruled by many oligarchs that are basically strongmen, gang leaders. infiltrated to some degree the Russian army. These things are not apparent on the surface, but once a conflict begins, God can use all kinds of factors. We don't know what was going on with these these dozen kings, or these half dozen kings in this this affair, but when Abraham's men attacked at night using the cunning that they had in the Lord, they were allowed a victory, a great victory, and and uh, furthermore, a saving of Lot and his family and all of their goods. So they came, they came back and they even, they even gave back to the Sodomites So they even gave back the property of these pagans because their interest was not aggrandizement of riches. Their interest was in saving the family, rescuing the family. So Abraham, Abraham was not a pietist. He did not have to debate this for a long time. He had theological clarity. Uh, He went and uh, he dealt dealt very forcefully with these other men of war. And uh, uh, it's just a, a marvelous and an amazing thing. When I've used this text, in terms of the Second Amendment debate that's going on in America today, which I this is my favorite text to use, I've often said, and you know, God was happy with this. How do we know that God was happy with this? Because immediately afterwards, he sends Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ, into their midst. And they have a feast, of celebration. This type of Christ, this Melchizedek, and they offer tithes. For one of the first times it's mentioned in the Bible, tithes to the land God as a thank offering for what God has done in their midst. Many people today think, oh, God would not be happy if you owned a gun. God would would not be happy with men of war. God would not be happy with bloodletting in the cause of righteousness. But he did, and he was, and it's very clear here from this text. And so, uh, number five is God blessed Abram's manly, fatherly uh, activism in sixteen and seventeen. Uh, he brought back all the goods, and Lot and the women of the family. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley. And the next text tells how how they how Abraham returned turned uh, his goods to him. And uh, so, even though the king of Sodom was a wicked man, Abraham dealt just justly with him. And uh, to the best of his ability. And uh, Abraham advertised righteousness before the world. He advertised righteousness, goodness, love, and peace and joy in the Lord. And these are wonderful demonstrations, wonderful insights for our families today. Uh, Today we have to use lawful means all the time. We have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We have to evaluate all of our situations against the whole counsel of God that we can see in the scriptures. We need to be ready for peace and endurance, enduring evil in our day, but also in, in worst case scenarios, to make war. And uh, I believe thus saith the name of the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for such texts as these as they as they open up our families to insights and to mature thoughts. We pray that you would protect us from all evil as, as the Lord taught us in the Lord's Prayer, that you would keep us from evil, that you would protect us, that you would deliver us from evil. We pray at the same time, O oh Lord, that we must when we might always press for the expansion of thy kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.